like you just want to sit here and just bask in his presence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, it's good to be with you guys. I try to get here as often as I can. Hopefully, I'll be here more often. We've been doing construction, my my grandson and I, if y'all haven't seen the the children's facility, we just opened it up today. The next construction this week, we're going to start building a stage on that side. We're going to tear this wall out. We're going to turn this whole thing around. We're going to be able to seat another 25, 30 people in here. You know why? Because we believe they're going to come. We believe that God didn't send us here for nothing. This church is not by accident, but it's by a prophetic dream that it's here. And God's going to see it through. Hallelujah. And remember, all we're doing costs money. So we're believing God for it, believing that if we just be faithful in giving, God's going to supply the need. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, we've been in a series this past month, which I believe started with uh, Pastor Nick. Was it on the conflict resolution? And then uh, what was it after that? I think forgiveness. I think I was in the one you did with forgiveness. That was powerful. How many know we have to have forgiveness in the house of the Lord? We want to be forgiven. We got to forgive others for what they do. And I think Pastor Chris came with confession last week. I wasn't here. Confession. Now, what? why are we doing all these things? What does all these three messages mean? Where is it heading? Well, it's heading to the message that I'm going to bring you today, and that is unity. God wants us to resolve our conflicts. I'm talking to the church. I'm talking out there. Those people don't do that. They kill one another out there. Here, we resolve our conflicts. We forgive. We confess when we're wrong. We do that. Why? Because we have to be unified. And so the message today is going to be on unity. And I'm going to go to the Gospel of John, chapter 17, which is a beautiful chapter because it's a chapter where Jesus is praying to the Father. It's called the high priestly prayer. And Jesus is praying to the Father. But there's a section of it where Jesus is praying for you and I, for the believers. That's the most important part. I like that. He's praying for us, even us today. That prayer he was praying was meant for us today. That was 2,000 years ago. And so let's look at it in John chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. When he said not for them alone, he was talking about his own disciples. He's not talking about them. Look what he's talking about. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. What was the message? The message was the gospel. That's the same message we believe today. He said that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. How powerful that is. Huh? He was praying 2,000 years ago for us. He knew that we would be here, and that would be his prayer, that we would be in complete unity. Uh, Jesus used the word one three times. He used the word one in his prayers for you and I. He was not just praying for his disciples. Thank God that that wasn't all he had in mind. But he was praying for every believer for the past 2,000 years that heard the gospel message and believed it. He's praying for them. He prayed that they would be one as he and his father are one. That's hard to understand that Jesus and the Father is one, and then he includes us in it. We are being part of God's presence. We are with him. And the unity that he's talking about is the unity of us being one together. And unity is really the heart of God for his people. Why? Because the opposite of that is what the devil does. The devil wants disunity. See, God is unified. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost is one. Our Lord is one God, one Lord, one Savior. He is one. The devil doesn't like that word one. The devil doesn't like the word unity. He likes disunity, discord, division. You see, the devil wants to destroy families. He wants families destroyed. He wants marriages destroyed. He wants churches destroyed. He wants to destroy relationships between believers, races of people, ethnic groups, and we can go on and on and on. There's countries that hate one another. He loves that. He loves when people hate one another. He loves when there's disunity and there's, there's confusion. God don't want that in his church. He wants unity in his church. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, the world would like to separate which is run by the devil. The devil is the god of this world. He wants disunity everywhere, every people. He wants people that are different races to be against one another. That's how I want this church. I want all races here, all colors here, all age groups here that God can bring them all and make them one. That's what he's saying, unity. He, he didn't say the age groups. No, everybody, young, old, white, black, yellow, green, whoever you are, 
He wants us all unified in him. See, now, over the years, and like I said, I've been saved 50 years. I've been pastoring 42 years. And I've learned over the years that, that some divisions and controversies are necessary and they're unavoidable. I didn't like it, but I realized that God is at work in his church. And sometimes he will divide some of us. Sometimes he'll take people out of here. Because he wants unity in his church. Simply because the church, he is constantly purifying his church. If there are things in the church that don't need to be there, he will make a way to get them out of there. I didn't like it over the years of pastoring four churches. I didn't like people leaving. I didn't like people uh, uh, going, just getting out of there. But I realized in the end, God was bringing more unity in his body, which he prayed for. He prayed for unity, and, and that's what he wants. Just as unity of the church, it's, it's what he wants. That's his heart, that we all come together, that we all worship together, that we all praise together. You know, Jesus himself said he didn't come to bring peace. That's amazing, huh? He's the prince of peace. He didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, he says, Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against a mother, a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Can you believe that? That because you come to Jesus and your life is changed, there are going to be family members that ain't going to like you. How many has experienced that? Huh? <laughs> what he meant was this, is that the truth of God cannot be neutral or compromised. It can't be. I realized when I first got saved, you know, we used to sing a song back in the old days. I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none come with me, I'm still going. Huh? When you make a decision to follow Christ, guess what? He says, if your whole family turns against you, guess what? You still have to come. See, the truth separates itself. Separates that which is false. See, I tell you what, doctrines have, have divided churches. Because somebody will get a false doctrine and start spreading it around, it'll divide the church. It'll do it. But guess what? Truth's got to stand. If you're a preacher of the gospel, you got to preach it like it is. Whether people like it or not, 
You got to preach the truth and let the rest fall by the wayside if it has to. Jesus' plea for unity had to do more with a lot of petty differences that's in the church. Bitter divisions. Let me tell you something. You're in the church, we all ain't going to like everybody's personality. That's why they got different churches. Some people don't like the, their pastor's personality. I remember when I, uh, when I first started the church, I got a couple here that got saved in the first church I started in. And, and I didn't, listen, I was a novice then. All I knew is what this said. And that's all I preached. I preached it hard. Somebody told me, you sound like you're always mad. I said, yeah, I am mad. <laughs> I'm mad because people are not listening to what the Word says. It makes you mad. But it's the love of Christ that binds Christians together. And our love for one another really should overcome these things. It should overcome grievances. It should overcome you stepping on my toe or, or, or saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. My love for you should make me overcome that. And we need to do that because that love demonstrating to the world that, see, the world don't do that kind of stuff. The world don't forgive. The world gets revenge. The world just goes after or separates themselves. That's not what we do here. We should demonstrate to the world that we are a, a, a unique people. In fact, the King James Version says we are peculiar people. We're peculiar. We're different. We love one another. No matter what. The fellowship and the love of believers should be unprecedented. In other words, it should be so strong and so different that the world will look at it with unbelief. Like, how can you do that? How can blacks and whites and Orientals and everybody and Latinos come and join together and love one another? How can that be? The world don't do that. Jesus said in John 17, 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you want the world to, to look at this church, they got to see that we love one another. Now, I want to give this church a compliment. Last week we had a wedding with, with Nick and Taylor. And uh, at that wedding... We had people that represented all three of our churches. The one in Chalmette, the one in Covington, one here. They were there experiencing the wedding in Isa afterwards at the reception. And I had people from the other two churches that really didn't know this church that well came up to me and commented on how this church interacted with one another. How they showed love to Nick and Taylor and how they sacrificed 
for that wedding. I sacrificed too. I was out there in 30 degree weather. <laughs> we were there, freezing. It didn't matter. We, they all did it, and that impressed these other believers from the other two churches. They came up to me and says, we can't get over how that church loves one another. I said, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. They were taken back. Because you see, what causes this unity that we have? What causes this oneness that, that people see? Well, we know one thing, that the oneness and unity that Jesus is talking about, it's not talking about a denomination. Like people say, well, I'm Catholic, or I'm Baptist, or I'm Presbyterian, or I'm this, that, or the other, that makes me all right. No, you can be in a church and you won't be unified. We can come together and not be unified. But there is something that needs to bring us together. It's not even our style of worship that brings us together. Of course, I like our style of worship, and I believe God does too. Because he shows up here when we do it. See, it's not our outward characteristics. It's the glory of God. See, it's the glory of God in us that unifies us. Isn't that what Jesus said? Look what Jesus said in John 17, 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Why? That they may be one as we are one. It's the glory of God in us that causes us to be one. It's the glory of Christ that makes us one. This is what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.14. He said, he called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's glory. I can see the glory. I see it on you. See, that's what makes me like you. Because I see the glory of God in you. See? You don't have to be perfect. We're not perfect. But if you love Jesus, you love God. And Jesus says, the glory that my Father gave me, I'm going to give it to you. It's us sharing in that glory that brings us together. In, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this in chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Ever-increasing glory. Ever-increasing glory. In other words, the glory keeps increasing in us. And what it says right here, that it's not fading away. See, what Paul is talking about is when Moses went to Mount, the top of Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. 
He was up there 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. He got the commandments. When he came down, the Bible says, his face shone like a flashlight. It was like an a LED spotlight. It was the glory of God on his face to where it scared everybody in Israel. They saw him, and they saw the glory off of his face. They told him, you got to cover that up. We can't, we can't look at it. You know why they couldn't look at it? Because when they look at the glory of God, it shows how wicked they were. That's why that world out there sometimes wants to curse you out. Because when they look at the glory of God on your face, it shows them who they are. Let me tell you something. The night I got saved at Lakeview Christian Center back in 1972, after the service was over, I looked at those people. Their faces were glowing. I felt like saying, what are these people on? But it was the glory of God. I didn't know people like that existed. That world out there don't know we exist. But we are unified because I see the glory on you. And it must be on me too. I remember uh, when we were meeting at a church in Williams Boulevard, uh, a friend, uh, uh, a man that was working for my older brother, he had cancer. I led him to, to Christ. And the week before he died, the Saturday, we was meeting on Saturday night because I was still pastoring in Covington. We were meeting on Saturday night here in Metairie, and he walked in to service right before the service started, and uh, he was dying of cancer. You remember him, Johnny? And I was standing in the front of the church, and, he, and he, he walked up to me. He said, Pastor, when I look at you, he says, it's like seeing an angel. See, I knew what he was talking about. He was seeing the glory. He died the following Saturday. See, he saw the glory of God. And that's, that's what makes us unified. That's what makes us one. We look different. We act different. We talk different. We are different. We're peculiar. We're unique because we are the people of God. You see, when Paul said, when we're reflecting the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his likeness. Jesus Christ was one with the Father because the Father gave Jesus the glory that he had. Our oneness with God the Father comes from the oneness with Jesus. We say, how can you be one with God? Well, I'm one with the Son, and the Son is one with the Father. So I'm one with God because of my faith in his son, Jesus Christ. In verse 23, I'm going to say it again. Jesus said, I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prayed for complete unity. Now, what is the source of this unity? Well, 
The believer's source of unity is the indwelling presence of Christ in us. Note, God is in Christ. Christ is in us. Therefore, the presence of God is in the believer. That means God is, dwells in us. That's why we believe the Holy Spirit is in us. It should be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I thank God when you come into a church like this and you're getting words of knowledge and prophecies coming forth. That's because the Spirit of God's in us. That's where I want to be. I want to be with people where the Spirit of God's in them. Listen, there's churches you can go to. There's plenty of churches. They fly in all kinds of flags. You go in, you don't get this. You don't get the presence of God. You might hear some kind of message or, or some type of sermon, but you'll walk out. Maybe you might be uh, filled up intellectually or spiritually. You're going to walk out the same way you walked in. But when we're in the presence of God, the believer actually partakes, I think Peter says in 1 Peter, that because of the promises of God, we can actually partake of God's divine nature. That's not a theory. That's the truth. We can partake of God. We can, we can, we can start resembling God. We can have a reflection of God here on earth. But what is the glory of God? Well, it's everything that's represented right here on the cross. What he did there, the complete work on the cross of Calvary, is the glory of God. That glorified God. That let the world know who God is. He sent his son to die on a cross for us. It's the new covenant. Ezekiel, 600 years before Christ came, prophesied about the New Testament. Look what it says. The Lord gave him this word. In Ezekiel 36, 25, the Lord says, Then, talking about now, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will pour my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. I love that. See, God not only going to clean us up, he's going to forgive us all of our sins, all of our filthiness, he's going to get rid of that. Then he's going to put his spirit in us. And what it's going to do is that, I love this part, he says his spirit in us will cause us to walk in his ways. See, that's why we can do what we do that the world will understand how we forgive one another, how we can live in peace, how, how we can love one another, 
how we can act like that, how we can live our lives in peace. They don't understand that. They don't understand that the Spirit of God in us is causing us to live that way. You can't live that way. I couldn't love you before Christ came into me. I love myself. That's what the world does. The world loves themselves. Could care less about anybody else. But when the love of Christ comes into you with the Spirit of God, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. There's love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness. All of that comes into me. Then I can do things I couldn't do in the natural. I can love people. I can love you, no matter what you do. I can love you. See, we've got to be in unity to please the Lord. And, and, and if we're really going to be his witnesses out there, I had a guy, when we're working on a building, he's, he's part of this, this building maintenance team that they got. He's a big black guy, he's about 400 pounds. Big. Joseph. He came in using every curse word you can imagine. And uh, I had him outside and he began to tell me that he was Baptist. And I said, are you born again? He said, yeah, I'm born again. I felt felt like saying, no, you're not. Because if you're born again, you don't talk like that. You got the spirit of God in you, you don't talk like that. That's not what comes out of your mouth. Because you see, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Wait, all of that curse word, that's not a habit. That's a condition of your heart. That comes out from here. When you start cursing and using that kind of language, that's not a habit. I'd say, hey, somebody told me, well, that's my habit. No, it's not a habit. It's what's in here that's coming out of your mouth. I can't wait to get to him again because I, I'm really going to tell him that. But he began telling me how he didn't like what his pastor does. He didn't like what the church leaders are. Probably saying, what are you doing in there? What kind? That's not God. That's not the church. See, in, in verse 21, Jesus said that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they may be also in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We are the evidence that Jesus Christ is Lord. When people see us, we are the evidence that Jesus Christ is real, that God is real, and that God sent his son here for a reason. We're the evidence. God has no other evidence about salvation. Now, there's evidence of creation. You just look around. But the only evidence of salvation and eternal life is us. And the only way they're going to realize that that God is real and Jesus Christ is real is when they look at us and see us in unity. They know that that don't happen. That doesn't happen out there. You understand? 
That don't happen out there. I mean, there are, are things where people say, oh, they all, they all come together. Like when they go to the Saints game, right? They're not in church. They, they're, they're in the Superdome. And they're just shouting like everybody's together. We're rooting for one team. But once they leave there, they're killing one another to get in the parking lot. That's not us. See, we're here unified no matter what. And we are the evidence. That's what the people need to see. Our unity is what the world needs to see. This is what's going to get the world's attention. The goal and unity of believers is twofold. Number one, that the world will believe that God's Son came into the world with a divine mission to save people. We are united by divine nature. That's, that's what's, what, what thrilled me the most when I first got saved and that, that love came into me and none of my family was saved. Nobody in my family was saved. They didn't get saved seven years after uh, I was living a life. They just thought I was in another fad or something, a cult or something. But after seven years, they realized I ain't going nowhere. I stayed on. But what I realized is that I felt like I was closer and here I come from an Italian family. We always together. Sunday, everybody, the whole family come together. I began feeling closer to my brothers and sisters in Christ than I did to my own family. That's when I realized that what I have now is supernatural. It goes beyond the natural. You understand? It's, it's beyond the natural. I'm closer and want to be with my church family more than I wanted to be with my unsaved family. Thank God my kids now and grandkids, they're in church worshiping God. You need to remember that. Your relationship to God will affect generations. I got great-grandchildren in church raising their hands today because of a decision that I had made. But we are united in a holy nature. It's a holy union by the Holy Spirit for a holy purpose. Not an earthly mission, not a worldly purpose, but a divine mission for mankind. We're here for a reason because there are people who are lost and dying that is going to be affected by who we are. See, unity is the good fruit of the church's oneness. It will be evidence of the truth of Christianity. It's a means of bringing many to embrace it. By the unifying of Christians in one society, by the power of the gospel message, will greatly propel Christianity and church growth. If we want to see this church grow, it's only going to grow by this world seeing that we are something different than what they are. What, they're going to recognize it when some of their children that's in a worldly family get saved and they get changed and they realize, whoa, there must be something to that, that this child is 
totally different. See, when we see this society raised up by the by, by Paul says the foolishness of the gospel. The world says this is foolishness. But once they see somebody changed and their life changed forever, then it's not foolishness anymore. There must be something real. That's when they'll say, I think we'll go with you. We see that God is with you. See, the uniting of Christians in love and charity is the beauty of our profession. It invites others to join us. In the early church, you see in the book of Acts how unified they became. They became so unified that they were willing to sell everything they have to help everybody in the church. See, they became unified. See, our uni unity can only come by the glory that Christ has given us. Now, I want to end with this. Jesus said, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. God gave his son the glory, which he in turn gives to everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's you and I. Stand with me. This glory that the Word of God, what Jesus is really talking about here, can only come by receiving Make Jesus. Us one, Father, Spirit, Son. We want it. You might be we here today and say, Pastor, I, I don't know if I have that. Well, it only comes when you receive Christ as Lord and Savior. If you're here today, you don't know your sins are forgiven. You don't know if you're right with God. If you don't know that, that God is really in you, that God has forgiven you, then you don't have his glory. But you can have it today. If you're here today, you don't know if you're saved. You don't know if you have eternal life. You don't know if you're forgiven. I want you to step out from where you are. I want to pray with you. If you're here today, say, Pastor, I haven't given my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just step out from where you are. Hallelujah. Now, for the rest of you, I don't know about you, but I want more of His glory. I want more of him. I want more of the glory of God to reflect off of my life. Paul says we're all reflecting the glory of God with increasing glory. How many want more? I want more. Why don't we come around this altar here and say, God, give me more. I want more. I want to reflect you.